Well, it was certainly an interesting week in politics. We had a Liberal MP call out his own prime minister, calling him divisive. We had the Conservatives suddenly do a 180, uh, the opposition after sort of embracing the protest, then suddenly saying it's time to go home. Um, And then the prime minister emerged from the shadows with some stern words, but familiar ones. Ontario's Premier Doug Ford declared a state of emergency today, pretty much stepping out in front of this issue. Joining me now to sift through it all is Jeremy Nuttall, the Vancouver correspondent for the Toronto Star. Jeremy, thanks so much for being here on this Friday night. Ah, Nice to be here again. (laughs) So what did you make of it? It was quite the week on Parliament Hill. You covered Parliament for quite a while. Um, Anything really unexpected up there for you? Uh, I would... Definitely say, I, I don't think I thought this was going to be continuing on the way it has. Uh, we finally saw some action today, but during the last week, you would have thought you would have seen it. Um, and I, I, I personally, I did expect the Conservatives to eventually do a 180 on this. I think that they got really caught up in, um, you know, listening to Twitter too much, I think, at the beginning of all of this and thought that it would be a, a good way to score some, some easy points with the base or with some people that... Uh, don't agree with mandates and don't like the Trudeau uh, government, etc. But, you know, in the background, you could see that uh, there were some uh, pretty odd elements to this, uh, to this protest. And eventually, they were going to probably end up regretting uh, supporting it at the very beginning. Certainly, we saw that even after Candace Bergen, the interim Conservative leader, uh, asked them to go home after Jason Kenney, the Premier of Alberta, dropped essentially, or at least announced that they were going to start dropping some of these COVID restrictions and then drop some immediately, the vaccine passport. No movement for the protesters. It really seems like they're not listening to the politicians right now. Why would they? Yeah, well, and that's just the thing is that, you know, a lot of people uh, have painted this or tried to paint it as uh, an anti-mandate protest, but... A lot of the protesters are just, they, they don't like the fact that Trudeau's in government. Um, you know, they don't, they don't care that he was elected to get there. Um, and they're just going to, to, to stick around and gum things up because they're angry about it. And that is, that is you know, what you hear from some of the people that have uh, been interviewed at the protest or some uh, news reports that have, have gone sifted through their uh, social media accounts, etc. So it's clear that this isn't just about vaccinations. And um, I think that, that, you know, the longer that, that people uh, try to, to paint it as that, the more this sort of this other stuff will sort of fester. And eventually, uh, you know, it's going to boil over. Agreed. Um, we were just talking to Daryl Bricker of Ipsos. They did an interesting poll that found, you know, a lot of Canadians, while not really, you know, not necessarily into the tactics or even, even into the beliefs of a lot of people out protesting on the blockades or on Parliament Hill, the idea, you know, a sympathy with the frustration was quite high. I mean, nearly, you know, above 40% out there. Um, and that's interesting. Yeah. And, but, you know, it's, I think that that's going to change even more though. I, I, you know, as you go on and you're going to start seeing uh, uh, more and more people losing their jobs as this goes on, um, more trouble getting goods. And also people just get annoyed with protesters after a while. Right. I mean, that's a, that's right. a scientific fact, right? So, I mean, you know, the longer you stick around, the longer that, you risk all this public backlash. And I think we're there now. And I think that's part of the reason why Doug Ford today took the steps that he did, because he can sense it, um, especially considering that um, for a lot of people, the people who are at these protests are the kind of, you know, the, the people that would likely support Doug Ford, right? So I think that he's aware of that and, uh, you know, is wanting to, to look like he's against this thing right now, you know? Yeah. And he has an election coming up, so you know clearly exactly. something that he that he would want to do. What did you make of Joel Lightbound? Because that was an interest. That was a really interesting way to start the week because we'd seen a fair amount of 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 cohesion 
at least outwardly within the Liberal Party. When it came to the idea that, the, you know, vaccine mandates worked, the protesters were bad, um, and we're all in this, you know, let's stick to the messaging that's worked for us so far. The fact that he came out and said that, you know, there was a cautious decision before the election to use this as a wedge, and we saw that during the election, uh, and then to call out, essentially, the Prime Minister for being divisive, that was pretty, you don't often see that. No, and you have to wonder how bad it is for Lightbound to be that concerned about it, because to actually break ranks with the party to that degree and call your your you, you know your own party leader divisive for a tactic that uh, was being used in the election campaign, especially as this thing sort of drags on. I imagine part of the reason it's been dragging on is because uh, the liberals probably see this as a as something that helps them and hurts the conservatives, and for Lightbound to come out and, and sort of say, well, that you know, enough is enough. Um, and this is divisive, and it's bad, and we need to rethink it. Uh, that was interesting on its own, but so was the um, the response uh, from the prime minister to effectively punish uh, Lightbound, which, you know, again, I, I think that, that that sort of thing is what starts to split parties and caucuses. Um, and it'll be interesting within the next week to see if that gets any uh, any more traction among other MPs. Because uh, once the first person is through the door, uh, it's much easier for the others to come through. And we saw that with, for instance, the SNC-Lavalin scandal, which started with Raybould and then suddenly Philpott wasn't far behind, right? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it must be pointed out that Michael Chong this week, a conservative MP, also came out and criticized his own party for their stance uh, on, on this whole thing. And that Pierre Polyev, uh, you know, obviously the only at this point, as far as I know, the only conservative leadership candidate uh, looking to replace Aaron O'Toole, has has so far not uh, not taken his support away from these protests. Uh, instead, using it obviously to, to fundraise, as far as we can tell. Yeah, and I also think that um, he has he went too far in his support at the start, and he can't walk it back anymore. Um, you, you know, you I, I don't know if he's made any comments on it. Uh, you know, within the last day, uh, I didn't see anything pop up. He may have, but uh, you know, if I were him, I'd probably be wanting to shy away from this right now because. He, he went so big on it at the start that it's very hard for him to turn around like the rest of the Conservative Party and says, okay, now, and say, now it's time to go home. The other um, thing that was circulating around today was that Jean Charest may decide to run for the Conservative leadership, which is an interesting thing because, of course, I grew up in Quebec. Jean Charest is a big name, but I really get the sense that nobody else in the country would even bear, would barely know who he was anymore. Yeah, I was just thinking, I, I, for a second, I was back in 1998. Uh, yeah. <laughs> But, you know, if John wants to go for it, then go for it. I mean, I suppose that uh, he'd probably find some support among some older Canadians and and uh, and maybe some Quebecers who are students of history and Canadians who are uh, students of history, rather. But, um, yeah, that's uh, that'd be something. I, I, I would really like to see that. That'd be an interesting experiment. Instead of asking you another political question, I'm going to share our question of the day with you because, and I warned you about this already, so you know it's coming. Um, mm. But we were asking people out there because, you know, it's Saturday before Valentine's Day. Valentine's Day is on a Monday, so probably a lot of people are going out over the weekend or thinking of buying last-minute gifts. So I was thinking about the best or worst Valentine's Day gift you've either, you've either gotten or given, Jeremy. Wow. Well, I think before, I, I think I mentioned that I've never actually gotten a Valentine's Day gift. Um, okay. <laughs> and now I feel extra bad because, no, I, I'm sure I've given one. I'm going to say I've given have. one. I'm, I'm sure I gave somebody flowers once. <laughs> I don't know. You don't, I just, I wasn't raised in that kind of a household. I mean, you know, we didn't even yeah. celebrate Mother's Day because my, uh, my uh, parents insisted that it was a Hallmark holiday. 
<laughs> yeah, yeah, I, I get you too. I mean, lots of people think, you know what? I'm not going to, why would we go out on the one night of the year that it's the most expensive to go out and then, uh, you know, and, and then drop all that money? Um, mm-hmm. You know, but, but still, my worst, my worst was not asking actually a present, but I was in Rome covering something and uh, someone I worked with had brought me to this awesome restaurant and I don't really speak a lot of Italian or nice. I didn't know where it was. The only way I knew how to get there was to walk. So I made my poor mm-hmm. wife walk for a very long time. <laughs> the meal was well worth it, but that was a long, long walk. So I'd say that was the worst uh, Valentine's Day present I ever gave. I mean, it was it was literally probably like seven or eight K, but I had no oh. idea where it was unless I just headed there. You know how you have that sense. So I, I apologize. The meal was fantastic, but and we took a cab home, obviously, because by then we knew how to get back. But yeah, that was my. No, is that, is that it's that whole thing where with every with every foot with every step you take, you think you're getting there a little bit closer, and so you want to yeah. keep it up. And uh, that actually happened to us in New York and Manhattan when we were walking around and decided, oh, we'll just like we'll just take a quick trip up to the Guggenheim. No, yeah. about you know three hours, <laughs> three hours and arches that are on fire later. Uh, yeah. We eventually got there, and I was too tired to even walk around the place. That'll learn you. Jeremy Nuttall, <laughs> Vancouver correspondent for the Toronto Star. Thanks so much. Have a great weekend. You too. Bye-bye.